You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior this Minister weekend, we Roger We are also uh, wrapping up our current message series in tonight. And we've been spotlighting some important themes. We're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, a little bit later. But next week, I wanted to share with you, we're going to be kicking off a new series entitled Encounters. Forward in this month of March. Uh, and by the way, next week, we'll beginning next weekend, we'll have more daylight time. So you want to make sure you check your calendars and be ready to, to spring your clocks forward next weekend so you don't miss it. But uh, um, as we look forward to Easter, we're going to be looking uh, for the next six weeks at some personal encounters that individuals had with Jesus on his way to the cross that time of year, you know, that uh, maybe people that normally don't go to church uh, or maybe haven't ever really investigated faith in Jesus, they might have their interest tweaked a little bit with Easter coming. So we want to encourage you to be inviting family, friends, neighbors, invite them to come back. Uh, I hope you come back, but we want to encourage you to invite others to come as we talk about how that just like people uh, in Jesus' encounters with him, we can personally have an encounter with Jesus uh, today. And that, that series will, will culminate on Easter weekend. And yet today we want to finish our current focus by putting the spotlight on the forgotten. In the Bible, we see the important reminder to not forget those who are in need. Not to forget those people that sometimes are forgotten. Our first Bible verse, if you're following along in the message notes, there was a typo. It should read James chapter 1. But in James 1, verse 27, listen to this, these important words. Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. As a clear instruction for us from Scripture, we want to invite you to watch what I think is a very inspiring video, and one that I am especially excited about sharing with you today, and I think you'll see in just a moment. Sophomore Caleb Swanigan, number 50 for the Purdue Boilermakers, may be the most talented college basketball player in the country. But he is also It feels like I just had two lives, really. It feels like, for lack of better words, it feels like I died and then, you know, got a, a reincarnation. This is the new Caleb Swanigan. And this was the old. That's him in the yellow. 160 pounds in eighth grade. The only thing this kid could dunk was a cookie. But what makes his success most implausible is that for the majority of his childhood, Caleb was homeless. His mom used to drag him from shelter to Indianapolis and across the country. Until 2011, 
when she gave up her parental rights. He had a little blue shirt, a tie, and some khaki pants, and had a little duffel bag under his arm. That's all the possessions he had. Yeah. Roosevelt Barnes adopted Caleb. Roosevelt was recently divorced, and his other kids were grown and gone. And it allowed me to have somebody in the house that I can love again, really. Love and encourage. Rebound, rebound! Roosevelt says you have to encourage. Which is a 160-pound eighth grader said he wanted to play basketball of all sports. Roosevelt didn't try to lower Caleb's expectations. He raised them. When he couldn't jump over a piece of paper, I was telling him, you're great. You're the best power forward in the world. No, I wasn't. I was speaking faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And Caleb believed. I guess he saw something in me that I didn't see myself at that point. Roosevelt knew a little something about sports. He played pro football in Detroit and he now works as a sports agent. So he laid out a program for Caleb that included getting in shape and getting mostly A's in school. As a result, yesterday, Caleb Swanigan, academic All-American, one of the top basketball players in the country with a 3.3 GPA to boot. Is this kid one of a kind? Or is he just one of many kids on our streets and in our foster system? We need someone to believe. Steve Hartman, on the road, in West Lafayette, Indiana. Well, obviously, I'm not above putting in a shameless plug for my Purdue Boilermakers as a Purdue graduate. But, you know, I, uh, I was inspired by that, that, that little uh, CBS News point. And by the way, I, I, I want to share with you a little bit of backdrop on that. Um, my wife and I like watching human interest stories, and we find them inspiring, and we enjoy watching them together. And and uh, as we were learning, as being Purdue fans, as we were learning the, the, the story behind Caleb Swanigan and, and just the great thing uh, and how he was adopted by Roosevelt Barnes. By the way, he didn't mention Roosevelt Barnes played four years of basketball at Purdue when I was at Purdue. So uh, he, he knows a little bit about basketball too. But, but when we heard this story, we, want, we, we thought, man, this needs to be told to people across the nation. And so my wife, several weeks ago, wrote CBS News an email and said, we think you ought to spotlight Caleb Swanigan. We think his story would inspire others. And so we were thrilled. There might have been others that wrote in too, but, but we know that we did. And, and, and they told her, said, we'll check into it. And they did. And here, uh, here it was. But anyways, uh, yeah, so you can, you can make a difference. But... Um, Perfect timing, uh, as that just was shown Friday evening, uh, and we'd already planned to bring a friend of mine, Jim Spicer, to come. And Jim, if you could come up on stage here. Uh, Jim and I have known each other for years. Jim and I were uh, part of a ministry staff together in Indianapolis years ago. And, um, and he, Jim's originally from Ohio, uh, but then... Uh, he was in Indianapolis, and I was there. I'm originally from Indiana. And then Jim served for a number of years in local ministry at a local church. By the way, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our students at this time. I forgot that cue, okay? Uh, so if, if our 6th through 12th graders are welcome to, to leave at this time. But um, Jim has, after years of serving in, in 
full-time ministry in the local church. He's, he's decided to uh, devote himself and works now with Ohio Mentor, uh, recruiting uh, families to be foster children that are in need. And so with that said, uh, Jim, welcome to Southwest. We're thrilled you're here. Uh, we understand, Jim, and I know from talking with you that there is a critical shortage for foster parents here in Southwest Ohio. A little bit about that. Yeah, there, there's a need across the country. On any given day, there are about a half a million kids in the foster system, some of the most at-risk, most vulnerable uh, children and youth in our society. But in southwestern Ohio, bottom line, there simply aren't homes for the children, for the Calebs that are out there. Uh, for every 10 children in southwestern Ohio that are brought into the foster system, uh, that means they're taken out of their homes by the children's services agencies. And there are roughly four to five qualified homes ready to take those children in. Uh, th- th- so those kids are stripped out of anything that they know to be stable, their schools, their neighborhoods, uh, teachers, coaches, uh, shipped uh, other parts of the state, taken out of anything stable in their lives. Uh, of course... The needs have been there for a long time, but they're exacerbated now by the incredible uh, uh, spike in drug overdoses. Members in uh, Warren and Ham- in, uh, Montgomery, but in Hamilton County, uh, between August and October, a two-month period, there were a thousand overdoses, opiate-related overdoses, and a lot of those folks have children. So, incredibly great. There's not enough capacity. Well, Jim, we read earlier uh, before the video that scripture that talks about uh, the Christians yeah. are to look after, commanded by God to look after widows and orphans. And I guess a question is, is foster children, does, would, does that qualify as orphans? What, what, could you yeah, speak to that? I will. James is pretty straight on, isn't he? I mean, the real deal, the, uh, really putting our faith into action in a real authentic way is to take care of widows and orphans and their the, the church at large has done a pretty good job, I think, of recognizing the need of orphans around the world and providing adoption opportunities. I think where we've missed out is that on any given Sunday, we're driving in our own communities orphans. An orphan doesn't have parents, doesn't have a family, and foster children, while technically they may have parents for a few months or a few years, essentially they are Practically speaking, they're and they need someone to open their heart and their home and provide a place to grow. Can you tell us, Jim, a little bit about who these children are that yeah. need foster families? Yeah, these, these children are anywhere from a newborn uh, to an 18-year-old. Children who need foster homes are children uh, who too often have been abused in some way. They've been physically abused. It's hard to say, but uh, many have been punched and hit and kicked and burned. The list goes on. Uh, children are sexually abused by family members or friends of the family. Uh, children are neglected, uh, not, not made to go to school, not given uh, uh, medical uh, care, uh, let alone the emotional abuse. Uh, being told day in and day out that they'll never accomplish anything. So uh, those are the, uh, the, the needs uh, that kids come into the system with. That need, who, who can be a foster parent? 
All right, I've joked at each of the other two services, if you have a pulse and a heartbeat, probably you can be a foster parent. Uh, not really, <laughs> but uh, you have to pass a background check. Place to live. Uh, a lot of times folks think they've got to live on their own home. No, you can rent. Uh, you can be single or married. Uh, you, the state of Ohio doesn't care how much money you make or don't make. They do care that you have enough to pay your own bills. Uh, pass a background check. Uh, most adults uh, could be a foster parent. The biggest factor is you, there's a motivation that's got to come from within. You've got to have a big heart because uh, being a foster parent, it, uh, it, it requires laying your life down. As you share that, Jim, what, what difference can a foster parent make in the life of a child? Yeah, well, you saw the video, right? It's pretty amazing. I mean, I, on, on my banner out in the forest, uh, and the way I try to recruit foster parents is by that charge, change a life. It's hard to measure uh, the change that you can have, the impact that you can have. Uh, it could be something as simple as providing a safe place for a child who may have never been safe. Uh, you may be able to, to help a child learn to trust a grown-up and to build trust in their life because, again, uh, they've had nothing but broken promises, promises day in. Um, you can believe in them. You can, you, know, you can look past the rough edges, look past the behavior that's often driven by their abuse and see something more and offer hope and a future in their lives. So it's hard to measure. This one, a 13 year old girl, spent three weeks in a foster home, which is a very short time. Ten years later, as a 23 year old, she tracks down that foster mom and calls her. By this time, she is married herself, has two children of her own, and she says to this foster mom, 10 years removed, that in those t that time I was in your home, you showed me what it means to be a wife and a mother. Pretty amazing. So we just, it's hard to measure the impact that we can have on the life of a child or a teenager. That's powerful. Well, Jim, I know your wife, Cindy's here with you this, uh, this worship gathering. And uh, I know that you been foster parents as well. Could you tell us a little bit about your own experience? Yeah, we fostered several times. Uh, we had a newborn, uh, and a 14-year-old troubled teenage boy at the same time who ended up living with us into his uh, college and going into the military uh, was in our home the other night. He ended up having four kids, and during a rough patch in his life, we ended up fostering those four kids. One of them now lives with us, our 19-year-old And uh, in between, when we were in Indianapolis, uh, we took in a 15-year-old girl uh, who had just lost her mother and her father uh, and was troubled on top of that. <laughs> that just added to her uh, turmoil and her fostered Rachel. So, yeah, we fostered several times. Wow. Well, thanks for not only having this passion but being an example. Uh, let's say somebody kind of feels a nudge from God and, and is moved by and would like to learn more about being a foster parent, what, what steps do they take? If you, if, if, just if you have some questions about it, you're not signing on the dotted line, you're not making any commitments, just if you'd like more information, stop by and see me afterwards, pick up some literature. I've got a form there you can fill out. 
would be interested in an informal orientation or info session. Uh, five couples already from Southwest have expressed an interest. So you may join that list and we'll try to get something together, maybe even here uh, at the church and provide an hour long information session. So yeah, That's stop great. by and see me. Yeah. Well, before, um, before we continue and Jim leaves the stage, let's just uh, have a prayer and pray for God to bless his work and also for God to show us as a church how we can make a difference even with foster children. Let's, let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you so much that uh, Jim and Cindy could be with us this weekend. Thank you for what Jim has shared, and thank you for how he's living out this passion to, to make a difference in the lives of and, and, Father, I just pray that if there's anybody here that you, you're nudging them and, and you want them to, to answer that call, I pray that they'll step forward, maybe just get some more information today. And I just pray ways that we as a church can meet the needs of this next generation, whether it's kids in our own families or, or even kids in the community that need that extra touch. I pray also that you'll bless our as we open up your word and look at it, some other forgotten people and help uh, just pray that your spirit will work through me and guide me what to say so that uh, you'll speak to our hearts today, Lord and that we'll see people that maybe we've just walked right by. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you don't forget us in our need. Thank you that you're always there for us. Show us how to be there for others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Could you join me in thanking Jim for being with us today? Really appreciate that. Well, as we continue our focus on the forgotten, we want to learn from one particular early follower of Jesus who appears in Scripture to have really had a heart for the forgotten. You know, during this series, we've learned from Priscilla and Aquila the importance of teamwork in marriage. We learned from Titus the importance of leadership. We learned from Timothy last week the importance of being a guide and mentor in the life of someone who's younger or maybe even just younger in faith. And today we're going to look at at one more uh, second-generation leader who was greatly influenced by uh, a first-generation leader, a guy named the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes our spotlight character today in this way. In one of his letters, he wrote these words in Colossians 4, verse 14, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. So today we want to spotlight, and we want to learn some things about this guy who ended up writing two books that are in our Bible, the the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We learn from this text that he was a medical doctor. He was a close friend, mission partner with the Apostle Paul. Luke obviously had a heart for those that were sometimes forgotten. For example, in his gospel, if you're taking notes, our first blank, he emphasized in Luke's gospel, he mentioned the poor more than any of the other gospel writers. As Luke described the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he records 
mission statement. Listen to how this mission statement reads in Luke chapter 4. This is, if you know the scene, Jesus is in a synagogue. He stands up and he reads from the scroll, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he read, which is really the mark of his ministry. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and will be set free. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's obvious that he cared deeply about the poor. And he saw that those that were in desperate need for goodness in their lives... And as Jesus followers, we must also be determined to bring good news into the lives of people that are either spiritually poor or possibly physically poor. Here at Southwest, we are continually seeking ways that we can provide good news to those who need to hear Jesus' uh, answers for life and how He brings hope into our You know, we want to continue to connect with people that, for whatever reason, aren't attending church now, that that maybe haven't really seriously ever investigated the teachings of Jesus. We want to be that church that they can come about Him. In fact, not only do we talk about Jesus and lift Him up in all of our times together every weekend, but we also offer every month, at least once or twice, what we call a discovery class. And in that discovery class, we talk about of of coming into a personal relationship with Jesus and how the Bible says that you can do that and how that you can be assured that your sins are forgiven and that, that, that Jesus will make a difference in you. If you've never taken the discovery class and you want to learn more about that, we, we'd love for you to come this Wednesday. We're offering it here. We also, in that, in that class, talk about how you can take that step of, of really committing to membership here at South Because we believe that, that taking that step of membership, getting involved, really making some spiritual commitments will make a difference in your life, that you will grow and not be poor spiritually, but grow and be blessed by what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so, yes, we're concerned about those that are spiritually poor, maybe even those that feel spiritually bankrupt. And yet, we also have to continue to understand we have a responsibility as Jesus followers to care for those that are physically poor. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for our leaders here at Southwest that they see that this is a high priority and that it's important in the poor. In fact, two of our elders, uh, Jordan Barnhart and his wife Tina, Joe Garland and his wife Cindy, they are in Haiti this weekend while we speak. And they're there, they're making a difference. They're people of Haiti. And, and for those of us who've had the privilege to go to Haiti, I mean, you want to see poverty. It's, it's a whole nother level there in Haiti, uh, anything that you'll see here in the United States. And, and I'm grateful because of the commitment of our leadership team, but also because of your generosity, uh, the Barnharts and the Garlands are able to be a part of building two new houses in Haiti while they're there, uh, sponsored by Southwest Church. And that's, that's really uh, exciting. 
about. But they'll also be passing out uh, bags of food, okay? It's called ABC Food. And this bag will feed it with water prepared, and there's instructions on how to do that. Uh, this will prepare meals. So for a family of six, they could eat a meal together uh, from this bag. And the Garlands and the Barnharts are going to be passing these out. I know uh, when I had the opportunity to go there, um, you know, people stand in family stand in line to get this. And our small group fixed one of these one time just to see what it tastes like. I felt like it needed some chicken. But besides that, but, you know, the people to see how hungry they are and that they'll stand in line to get this. And how they are, it, it, it's, it's humbling. But to know that while the, the Barnharts and the Garlands are passing those out, we have an opportunity this afternoon to pack, package these. And so we hope you've signed up. As Eric shared, 520 uh, plus people. And I'm hoping even more. Now, we don't have sign-ups out in the lobby because, you know, it's, now it's gone to the website. But we want to encourage you to do it. Um, in fact, I think those first two shifts are pretty full. I think there were... Uh, when we saw that we'd already passed 500 leadership teams, so let's, let's go to 600, okay? And so uh, with 600 people, we could pack 90,000 meals. Wouldn't that be great? Not just package them. It, the, the commitment we've made is also to ship them to Haiti through Lifeline and so that people can get that. And so, by the way, if, if you've already signed up and you say, this was so much fun and I'm willing to invest another $10. You won't get another t-shirt, but you'll invest another $10. Maybe you can pull another shift at four o'clock, okay? Because that's a shift we need some more. So if you want to double dip, that's okay this weekend, all right? Uh, Let's make a difference. Let's package those 90,000. That would be, that'd be great. It's a way for us to practically, practically bring good news the poor. One of the things that I find fascinating in Scripture is some of the backstories that we read. We read the book of Acts as we read some of the letters written to early Christians. And as we continue our spotlight on this character, Luke, uh, as we turn to the book of Acts, we, we see a backstory that's really, really cool. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you before. But the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts, uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, uh, and although he never uh, gives, you know, describes himself by name, all of a sudden in chapter pronouns switch from third person, you know, Paul and his companions, to all of a sudden in verse 16, this personal plural pronoun shows up, we. And we get the sense that that's when Luke, the doctor, became a part of Paul's mission team. And so from Acts 16 on, you see this we, because now Luke is part of the mission effort. And so if your message notes or you get your Bible, you can see the first episode of interaction with another person is in Acts 16, verses 13 through 15, where, where Paul and his companions, Luke being a part of them, they reached out to a group of women. And uh, one of them, Lydia, we're told specifically her name, uh, she becomes a Jesus follower. She's baptized. And uh, what's, what's cool here, and our next point we're going to see is that, that from even from Jesus, 
mission statement that we cannot forget the oppressed. We can't forget the oppressed. In, in the time that, that the Bible was read, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of times women were mistreated. One of the things that I find so encouraging in Scripture is to see how Jesus honored women, how the early church was really revolutionary, and how the, the women were treated with respect that with Lydia. But as we look at this next story, we see again how that that we're not to forget the oppressed. Look, read about how Luke highlights a particular oppressed individual in verse 16, Acts 16, 16. It says, as we, see the we there, were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. In fact, she and his companions, and she's shouting some things. It's so troubling them. Finally, they just turn and they heal her, drive out the evil spirit, and, which is good news for her, but it was bad news for her slave owner, okay? And now there's a lot of... I don't know if I totally understand this passage, okay? If you understand it all, let me know. But, you know, there's talk here about evil spirits. There's talk about fortune-telling, I'm not sure if I understand what all that, how that all works together and what that's Yet there's one thing I am convinced that I understand is that there were some evil people who were benefiting financially from this girl who was described as being in human slavery. And when she was healed, the Spirit was driven out. They were upset, and they caused all kinds of trouble for Paul and his missionary team. Now, when I mention human slavery, some of you might say, well, that's a problem in the past, right? Even in our country, that's something that was settled at the Civil War, right? Well, yes, I'm, I'm grateful that, that that was abolished at that time in our country, and yet the truth of it is human slavery continues to be a problem in our generation. According to some recent statistics that I've come across, there are approximately 20 to 30 million slaves in the world today, human slaves. According to the U.S. State Department, 600 to 800,000 across international borders every year, of which 80% are female and half are children. Between 14 and 18,000 people are trafficked into the United States each year with being the third largest international crime industry behind only illegal drugs and arms trafficking. Now, some of you might say, wow, that's bad news, but that must be in states like, you know, Texas and, and Florida and that are, that are near a border or something like that. But here's the thing that's trouble. And yes, those states do have a high percentage of that. But you know, a state that's in the top five right behind those three states, Ohio. You see, this can't just turn a blind eye to. Human trafficking reportedly generates a profit of $32 billion every year. And of that number, half of it is in industrial like the United States. What's the result of human trafficking? Well, it comes in many forms. It's forcing victims into prostitution, subjecting victims to slavery or involuntary servitude, compelling victims to commit 
purpose of creating pornography. I don't even like describing that. It's ugly. It's dark. And sometimes we don't want to think about that that kind of stuff is going on even in our state, but it is. And although we missed the opportunity to promote the End It movement, uh, there was actually a day in February, maybe some of you saw it online, where celebrities and athletes, you know, put, put that maybe even on their hand or, you know, their arm or something to promote this. It's not too late, even though we missed that day, it's not too late for us to emphasize the importance of 21st century Jesus followers is devoted to providing freedom for the oppressed, as the church was in the first century. The problem still exists, and it still exists for far too many children and women, even in the state of Ohio. Let's not forget to pray and look for ways that we as a church and maybe you as an individual can end this form of oppression. Last year, we gave some of our mission dollars to a safe house for people escaping human trafficking. I think we need to look for other ways this year. We can do that as well. As we continue to read in the book of Acts, we find the human author, Luke. Now, now I, I know that Luke was human, and I know also and believe with all my heart that he was inspired by the Spirit to write these things down. But it seems to me that God, in His wisdom, picks out people with particular personalities or passions to write some of these things down. And I believe God chose Luke for so that he could really lean in to some of the forgotten people of that generation or any generation. And so we find as we keep reading uh, that, um, that Luke also emphasized the importance of Jesus' followers not forgetting. In a very moving scene when the Apostle Paul said goodbye to a group of elders from the uh, church in Ephesus at the end of his third missionary journey, Paul shares a famous saying, one you've probably heard before. Luke quotes it, Paul saying it this way. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. That's our third group. The words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those of us who are parents have learned this principle at Christmas time. When our kids were young, I think that Jane and I enjoyed Christmas Day more than even our kids. You know, we'd, we'd planned and we got those gifts and seeing them open those gifts and seeing the joy in their face, I mean, that, that is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, maybe some of you have, have gone out to to lunch with a friend, and, and, and you think, man, this is a good friend from church, or it's a good friend from my neighborhood, and I, I, I want to pick up the tab. I want to pick up the bill and pay for this person's lunch. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when I go out to lunch with friends from church here, I look for a way to be a blessing to them, okay? Get that? So, first hour picked it up a little quicker, but... Uh, and so, if you want me to be a blessing to you, let me know. I'll be glad to go to lunch with you this week, okay? And remember, it's more blessed to give. 
than to receive. But all seriously, what Jesus said here is so true in every area of life, isn't it? In our involvement in the church, whether it be feed the hungry or whatever we might do, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our resources, it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's so important that we as a church, a church that's serious about our mission statement, to be, to be a church that's following Jesus, making disciples, that we not forget to look after those in our own church and in our community that are weak, that we can meet their needs. In a year that we're trying to explore new, that's my word for this year, new. And so we're talking a lot about how can we explore new ways. As a church, we're going to be 20th anniversary in October. And yet, how can we explore new ways to live out our calling as Jesus followers. In fact, one of the things that we've encouraged are small groups. And by the way, if you have a small group yet, we really want to encourage you to jump in and get involved. There's a, a little stack of green sheets of paper on the, on the ministry uh, counter out there in the lobby of all the listing of small groups here. You can go to our website and look them up and contact info. Because I think it's in small groups that we really learn to live out our faith and and to have relationship with other Jesus followers and live it out in practical ways, what we talk about on the weekends. And one of the things that we've challenged leaders is to look for ways that every month their small group can put their faith into action. And practical ways to go out there and and truly be the body of Christ, serving others encouraging to hear some of the feedback this year of things that small groups are doing. You know, I, I had lunch with someone this week, and they talked about their small group wants to collect clothes and, and donate it to people of need. I thought, that's great. That's a great small group. Uh, you know, other small groups, every month they go partner with a local mission organization and help package supplies, and they go do that as a small group. Another small group decided, okay, what are some people in need, you know, in our area that we could really... So they, they collected uh, crossword puzzles and, and little coloring books and snacks, and they put together a little care package, and they, they took it to local emergency rooms and waiting areas at hospitals. In a practical way, meet some needs of people that maybe felt like they were kind of at a weak point. How can you lean in and help the weak? How can you live out what it means to love God, love God, and share Jesus? New creative ways to help those in need. Finally, we see that Luke, the doctor, not surprisingly, also spotlights the importance of not forgetting the sick. In the last chapter of Acts, as, as Paul and Luke are on a ship headed to Rome, they're they have a shipwreck, and following the shipwreck, they're washed up on a shore on a Mediterranean island named Malta, just south of Italy and Sicily. This day, there's still a bay in Malta. If you look on a, a current map called St. Paul Bay, because I think it was named after this moment that we're ready to, to read, is how Luke utilizes this opportunity to remind 
get the sick. In Acts 28, verse 7, it says, Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to, to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill, dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and, and laid his hands on him. He healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a church, we want to be a community of faith that remembers the importance for the sick and praying for those that have health issues. Although we don't have apostles like Paul who have miraculous powers that can just lay their hands on people and people will be healed immediately, still can gather around people and pray for them, tapping into the power of God that he hasn't lost any of his power. Every week here at Southwest, we have a prayer list in the bulletin. I hope you're reading that. I hope you're taking advantage of our time together to maybe pray for those people. I hope you take it home with you and, and, and set aside some time during the week to pray for those needs of people that have said, hey, here's a health need in my Here's a surgery coming up. Here's something we're facing. We want to encourage you to do that. Also, if you have a need, let us know. And we'll put it in next week's prayer list as well. We also, in the bulletin, you'll see a prayer circle for one of our members, Sonny Kramer, who's having a surgery coming up this month. And if you've never been to a prayer circle, it's powerful. We, we just gather around a person. We actually do put our hands on them just so they can feel Pray and ask God to work powerfully. We've seen God answer some powerful prayers. There's going to be a prayer circle coming up later in March around the Caprodes family. And we're so, you know, I just am so encouraged by covering. I even heard her making noise tonight. I, I've been praying about that. You know, that was awesome today, not tonight. But uh, I, w- I was, was just so encouraged. But we're going to gather around them and continue to pray that God brings healing life. We want to encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities to be caring and praying for those that are sick. Uh, Finally, we also have a meals ministry here at Southwest because maybe you say, I want to do more than just pray. Praise good, but we've got a meals ministry where we prepare meals for people that have had surgery or gone through a tough time physically, and you can participate. Just put on the bulletin, sign me up for the meals ministry, and Renee Garbark will contact you and add you to that ministry too. Well, hopefully as a result of this message, you've been reminded to remember some individuals that are easily forgotten, the poor, the oppressed, the weak, and the sick. As I was working on this, I kept saying that to myself over and over again, the poor, the oppressed, the weak, and the sick. And I couldn't help but think about a saying that goes with an important landmark in our country. reminds us of people that are less fortunate even among us. On the Statue of Liberty, a statue that celebrates freedom, there's a poem entitled The New Colossus. In the base of this national landmark, or actually it used to be now, I think it's in the gift shop when they redid the base, But this is how the poem reads. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe. 
Peace of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Reminder for us as a nation to be a safe harbor for those who are truly looking for safety. As a church, we're committed to continuing to hold out hope that we're a community of faith that's safe for people to come. People that are looking for hope, for friendship, for forgiveness. One way we do this is by making sure that every in our worship gatherings, we have a time of reflection and meditation in communion, remembering the one who came from heaven to bring good news, help, healing, and real lasting liberty of freedom for all who will trust in him. Luke also records in, in the book of Acts, we kind of skipped over it, but in Acts 20, that early Jesus observed this identity marker on a regular basis. Luke writes in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to learn, he prolonged his message until midnight. I know sometimes I get carried when I go a little bit long. Aren't you glad, though, I've not followed Paul's example of preaching till midnight. But we do want to these early Christians and observe on a regular basis communion, the breaking of bread with each other. And so every weekend here, we pass communion trays and we take these pieces of bread and we take the cups of juice. And it's to remind us the one that we're following, the one that brings real freedom, the one that gives us hope, the one that meets our greatest need of During this time of communion, let's get our hearts and minds fixed on Him, and let's allow this to be a really meaningful time to reflect on the freedom that's found in Christ. But let's also examine ourselves and say, am I living a life that is pointing people to this freedom? Am I being that kind of example? Am I really appreciating that was paid so that I, so that you, so we could be free? Think about that as we observe communion together. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that in your love and you sent your son to this earth. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to die for us. Thank you for giving us real freedom. Help us during this time of communion reflect on what a great Savior you are and help us be determined to point others to you. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 9 p.m. 
Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. Oh, hey, lift up your voice.